is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. They did everything they could to destroy Trump. He's still president. He's improving in his poll numbers. The economy is growing. Uh, and on most major issues, the country is much closer to Trump than it is to radical Democrats. As Biden tries to rekindle Democrats' fond memories of the Obama era, Bernie Sanders is searching for a spark. He's now trailing Biden and Elizabeth Warren in a Monmouth poll of Nevada Democrats far behind Biden and Bernie. There's Beto. But look, whether it be with China, whether it be with other countries around the world, this president has been willing to use the economic power of the strongest economy in the history of the world in using access to our market in the form of tariffs to put American jobs and American workers first. And now, Stacey Washington. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? How are your, how's your day going? How's your coffee tasting? How's everything shaking out for you? I'm Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And we have a wonderful program all lined up for you. First, just want to give you the sites. If this first time tuning into the show, thanks for being here. And guess what? You can head over to urbanfamilytalk.com, AFR.net, and onenewsnow.com and check out the content over there. Great stuff. Um, right now, just let me tell you, we're going to chat with the Andrew Claven. Andrew Claven, the screenwriter for the movie Gosnell. Also... He's an author. He, he's done so many fantastic things. He comes right out of Hollywood and New York. Um, he's, he's a culture warrior. He's pro-life. He's a man of faith. And he just has this amazing demeanor. My husband and I heard him speak here in St. Louis last week. He was at the Vitae Foundation dinner, and we were just blown away by his presentation. But there's, so, you know, sometimes you, you're sitting and you're listening to someone speak, and you know they're famous. I mean, everyone in the room knows they're famous, but you get the distinct feeling that maybe they're not aware that they're famous or or perhaps that this is the the one person who out of all the people you've heard speak before, you might actually enjoy more than anything just one of those marathon dinners where you meet up at about 7 and at 1 a.m. you're still talking and laughing and listening. I, I turned to my husband after he spoke and I said, you know, I could see us just sitting with this guy like, you know, at our favorite uh, dinner spot and just, you know, eating and chatting and, and just listening to him talking about all kinds of topics. And my husband is usually pretty hard to please. He's, he's not the easiest when it comes to meeting new people or hearing them speak and then thinking, you know, oh, stellar. He's, 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 he's very, a very critical listener to what people have to say. And he doesn't like to have his time wasted. And so, I just kind of said it spur of the moment and he turned and he said, yeah, I could see that too, which is high praise coming from him. And so we were just, we, 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 we enjoyed his speaking. And then afterwards I, you know, ran over, (laughs) I was trying to get there before the crush. And I did, I was like the third person and I handed him my card and I said how nice it was to meet him. And cause I've, I've listened to him before I've seen his work before, but it was something really special to get to hear him speak. And he just looked me right in the eye and he was like, it's really nice to meet you. And I just thought to myself, he really is just as real as he was during the speech. After the speech, like in person, it was really great. So I gave him my card and I said, I would love to have you on the show. And then usually what happens, I'll tell you, I've done this hundreds of times before. I'm on my third pack. uh, So I buy business cards in packs of 500 or 1,000. And on my third pack, so I've, I've either bought... 2,500 or 3,000 business cards. And I've given most of them away. And I'd say maybe a hundred of those times that I've given them away, it's been to someone where I've heard them speak and I give them my card. And I, I don't want to ask them for their cell phone number because I know they're not going to give it to me. They haven't met me from Adam. But I always give them my card and say, I'd love to have you on the show. And I'd say maybe maybe 20 times out of the hundred the person actually reaches back out. And this was quick. He emailed that evening and said, it was great to meet you today. Someone from the Daily Wire will be reaching out to you. And then within 24 hours, she did. And we got this on the calendar. So super excited about having him on the show today. Um, really nice to meet someone who's willing to 
actually do an interview afterwards. It's, it's hard to find people who are really willing to do that. So you're going to enjoy that. And then, of course, we're going to talk about um, the Democrats are now pointing to reparations. So while they continue their kabuki theater down in Washington, D.C. about impeaching the president, uh, you know, so some kind of wrongdoing that he must he must have done something wrong because how else can we hate him this much? He just has to be bad. He has to be the worst thing ever. He has to be he has to be the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of worstest worst things ever everest totes magnitude of one million gazillion billion he's just that bad and so we've got to get rid of him i know it doesn't make any sense but just stick with us we're going to get rid of him okay you see you'll see you'll be happier once he's gone you'll see that's what's going on in their little brains and they just can't stand it. And then he, I, he's in troll mode right now. He's literally saying stuff to send them over the edge. And instead of them saying, wait a minute, <laughs> he's just saying that to tick us off. They're like, we're mad. We're super mad. He can't do that to us. We're the Democrats. We're Americans. Yeah, that's what's happening. <laughs> Stephanopoulos with his little short self. He stood up next to the president at the desk looking like, you know, he literally looks like he's maybe 10. And he says, but if the if a foreign government gives you some information about your political opponent, I mean, you wouldn't take that, would you? Now, what do you think Hillary Clinton? Hillary Clinton couldn't get any information from foreign governments, so she made her own up. She went to a foreign national to make up bad information about Donald Trump. Stephanopoulos, who gave her uh, campaign seventy two thousand dollars. Uh, and never disclosed that when he was interviewing her over and over and over again until he got called on the carpet. That's just an old little bit of history that matters. Stephanopoulos actually would never ask Hillary Clinton that question. And that's why I don't care what the president said about taking information from foreign governments today. And and I want you to be crystal clear why I don't care. I want to make sure nobody is who's listening, if you're in your car or, or you're at work or you got your headphones on and you're speed walking or running or on the elliptical, whatever you're doing right now, if you're wondering why I don't care that the president said he would take info or uh, oppo research from foreign governments is because no one cares if a Democrat would do it. No one cares about the hundreds of just millions that they, they took, not hundreds of thousands of dollars. They took millions of dollars from foreign government for speaking, speaking engagements. Namely, the Ukraine and Russia, hundreds of millions of dollars flowed into the Clinton Foundation for them to come around the world and speak to foreign governments. And nobody on the left or in the talking snake media said boo boo the clown about it. Not only did they not say anything about it, they didn't care. And if you bring it up now, they'll say, well, that's just whataboutism. No, it's not. It's a valid question. If you think that Donald Trump shouldn't have meetings with people from foreign countries when they say they might have something to share, then do you care that the Clintons sat down with foreign governments? Do you care that Hillary Clinton sold 20% of our uranium stores to Russia? Yeah, she sold it through to a bunch of companies that are owned by the Russian government, but it's still basically Russia. Do you care about that? So whenever anybody, and I mean anybody, any Democrat, I don't care if you just voted Democrat once all the way up to Nancy Pelosi, anybody in between on that spectrum who's a Democrat, a hardcore Democrat, believes in it, lives it, you're in the inner city suffering right now, you're taking one for the team, you have one black friend, good for you. If you're one of those people and you're willing to talk about all of the foreign influence that has been exerted in the past by mechanism of Democrats... Uh, tell Vladimir after my election, I will have more flexibility. If you can talk about that, then we can explore the possibility of what the president said today about Apple research from foreign governments, um, that that might have been a mistake. We can we can have the discussion. I still am not ready to say it was a mistake because I still think he's playing with your mind. And if your mind is that small that he can actually hold it in his hand and play with it, that's a you problem, baby. That's a you problem. You have a tiny mind and it's triggered and you're all up in arms right now. But you're a, you have a one sided tiny mind because your one sided tiny mind can't get upset over things that Democrats do. It can only get triggered and just abused and misused and tossed around like, you know, a feather in the wind. That's your mind worrying about Donald Trump. And 
while he's moving furniture around in the high-rise apartment he's built on the left-hand side of your mind, uh, I'm over here. I know there's other things we can do. There's other things that I can get upset about or actually not get upset about. So here's a rundown of the stories for today. I mentioned the $1,000 you can win by using a flip phone only for one week, living like Warren Buffett. Uh, Joe Biden, this is poll data. Um, and this is, this is so funny to me. Um, and I'm just going to cover this really quickly. Uh, more tech manufacturing companies exiting China. Nintendo and Sharp plan exits from China. Those tariffs are hitting them hard, babe. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we want. We want the president to put the pressure on them. Yes, we feel a little bit of it, but it's temporary for us. And I have some audio from Newt Gingrich where he explains that that right there, that's everything. Our economy is the prize, not theirs. They got the workers, but we have the economy they want to do business with. So we should exert pressure on them. Mexico is freezing bank accounts and a widening migration clampdown. Um, and this reparations thing, which we've covered before on the show, but it's, it's worth noting that the Democrats, and that's the title of today's show, Election 2020, Democrats point to reparations instead of policy because they have no policy. And also their minds are tiny, like the size of ping pong balls. And Donald Trump's playing with them. He's got somebody in the office right now juggling the Democrats' minds uh, for his entertainment. So this poll, it's a 2020 Democrat poll by The Economist and YouGov. They partnered together to do this thing. Um, and they have Joe Biden at 26 percent and Sanders, who was up with Joe Biden at one point, And these numbers are fluid. This means nothing in 90 days. But right now, this is the lay of the land. Sanders is at 12 percent and Elizabeth Warren is at 16 percent. Now, see, this is the way I thought it might crack out. Now, obviously, we still have months to go. But um, Sanders, the more he talks, the more people they catch a little bit of it. And they're like, something stinks. Oh, yeah, it's Bernie Sanders and his socialism. Yeah, oh, the sound of gulags and murder and starving Americans and people eating their pets. That doesn't sound so hot. So when asked which candidate or candidates they were considering voting for in 2020, respondents ranked Warren at 45 percent in second place, just below Biden at 50 percent. And Sanders, the runner up, was ranked in fourth place at 38 percent behind Senator Kamala Harris, who was at 39 percent. And this is. Uh, a part of the questioning that they asked showed that Warren benefits from being viewed by overall respondents as a more acceptable nominee for the Democratic Party than Sanders. So people are waking up to the idea that as crazy as crazy is, Sanders only serves as a lightning rod to get policies that are socialist in nature into the mainstream American ethos. It, he gets Americans talking about these things and willing to accept them. But when it comes to being a standard bearer for the Democrats and their current party platform, he doesn't work because he keeps saying things that, that don't make sense about capitalism, which Americans are not willing to abandon. Um, even the most hardcore Democrats, when you say, well, that means you, everybody drinks the same coffee and it won't be Starbucks, they look at you funny. That means no more Airbnb, no more Uber, they look at you funny. That means you need to live in the same size house as every other person on your street and it's a much smaller house than what you have. They might be willing to agree to that until they find out that illegal immigrants and lawful immigrants and everybody else will be there, too. And they won't get to say, I want to move to a better neighborhood so I can have better schools for my kids. Once you start explaining it in real terms, all of a sudden that universal health care that Joe Biden is suddenly so in love with, it's not it's not that cool anymore. They're like, oh, well, you're just making that up because you hate. No, not making that up. Tiny brain liberal. Your mind is actually ping ponging around in some juggler's hand. And Donald Trump's giggling at you right now because you're triggered because you think he's going to sit down with foreign governments and try to impact the elections. When in reality, that didn't happen. The Mueller report, the sham that it is, actually showed that he's innocent of all of those things. And remember that Trump Tower meeting that everybody keeps bringing up, but never nobody talks about the details. The Trump Tower meeting was about adoption and the Medvinsky Act. The Russians used to allow their kids to be adopted here into our country by the literally hundreds of thousands. And that all ended because they were upset because we named an act against corruption and murder of political opponents after someone that was killed from their country, Medvinsky. Yeah. So uh, again, details are our friends, unless our minds are the size of ping pong balls, in which case, um, our minds are toys to be played with by the likes of Donald Trump. And I'm over here laughing just as hard as he is because he is just, he's just toying with you, liberals. He's playing with you. <laughs> okay, when we get back, we have Andrew Clavin. Stay there.
80% of the time, an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life. Here's the story of Candace. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. There are currently preborn centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today? Dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Your love can save a life. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Some of the people who have greatly influenced my life are either aging or they've gone to be with the Lord. Sometimes I get a bit emotional when I think of people like Dr. Douglas B. McCorkle or Burton Cathy or Margaret Ponda, my parents or others. I was not only influenced by what they shared with me, but I witnessed their godly lives even through adversity and hard times. Their memory is dear to me, but I've also known those whose lives were riddled with wickedness. Their memory brings sadness to my soul. How we live today is how people will remember us. The preoccupation with Christ's likeness must be our lifelong pursuit. If that's what is most important to us, then our pursuit of God is what we must be known by. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7, Solomon reminds us of this. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. What a stark contrast. In other words, Solomon says, The very thought of the righteous puts joy in the heart and a smile on the face. It's hard for me to be sad for too long when I think about my mother and my father who are with the Lord. Yes, I miss them, but they're rejoicing with him, and I know the legacy of their lives. The memories are sweet. It puts a smile on my face and joy in my heart. On the other hand, Solomon says the name of the wicked will rot. Those who don't have Christ as Lord and those who live lives riddled with sin have no lasting legacy. It is a legacy of pain and heartache. Well, here's what I want you to remember and do today. Invest in righteousness. Your life is your legacy. Righteousness will pay enormous dividends of hope and blessings for future generations. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hi, friends. I'm back. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> daughter, the youngest, just strolled by and overheard me saying that the Democrats' minds were like ping pong balls being batted around by Donald Trump, and she got a good laugh out of that. And then she flashed me the OK sign, which we then giggled about, you know, being white supremacy with both of us being permanently tanned and all. Yeah, that's what happened over the break. <laughs> all right. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome. Oh, he's just so fantastic. Dailywire.com to find out more about his radio program and other things that he's doing. Andrew Clavin. He spoke to us last week at the Vitae dinner here in St. Louis, and it was our pleasure to hear him and kind of, you know, just think to ourselves, what would happen if we were all at dinner together and we were just laughing and talking late into the night? And we knew that that would be awesome. It hasn't happened yet, but we can always dream. Andrew, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure, Stacey. It's good to talk to you. So first off, um, let's talk about the screenplay. You wrote the screenplay for the movie Gosnell, which I've seen. I saw it in a theater with a friend. It was not the easiest thing to watch, but it was such a great representation of what actually happened. Because oftentimes when a true story, true to life story goes to the screen, it does not, it doesn't comport over. It doesn't move over well. It did in this case. How did you do it? How did you, it, it, it had to have been like a Herculean effort to take that real story to the screen. Yeah, you know, it, we started from the point of view, we wanted to make sure that this was a watchable uh, even entertaining film. Obviously, a film that's about an abortionist serial killer is, is pretty grim. But we wanted to make sure it wasn't going to be gory. It wasn't going to be something you had to turn away from. It was going to be a, a crime story. I'm a crime writer. I'm a suspense writer. And I wanted it to be in that tradition. And I think that that's what we all achieved. It, 
having said that, I mean, I, it was a, it was a hard story to write, and I'm sure uh, it is a hard story to watch if you haven't been if you're not familiar with it. Uh, I was I was haunted the entire time I was writing it. Um, I I posted a, a cartoon. Uh, uh, Michael Ramirez, the Pulitzer Prize winning cartoonist, sent me a political cartoon of the babies uh, that uh, Gosnell killed as uh, Holocaust victims with the caption, never again. And I hung that up over my computer as I was writing uh, and looked at it all the time because I felt this tremendous burden to speak for these children uh, who hadn't been allowed to speak for themselves. And so that was basically what, what was in my mind as I was going forward, and it really did weigh on me the entire time, and I hope it, it did at least a little bit of that. Because to me, that's the, the, the problem with abortion is that women can go on TV and talk about the troubles they had and the reasons they had an abortion, and those are sad stories and true stories and real stories. But the baby can never speak. The baby can't say what a life uh, he or she would have had, what they would have done, what they would have felt, uh, all, the, all the beauty and joy and sorrow of a life. I just is silenced in a moment. So I was trying to give a little bit of a voice to all those victims. So uh, you did so, so well, because there were, so I went with a friend who she's very politically astute, um, but she's also, you know, again, this is a subject matter where we, not a lot of us just sit around talking about abortion in the, in the stark way that this story presents it. This, this is the side of abortion that was never supposed to happen. Right, Andrew, we were told safe, legal and rare. Andrew Gosnell never should have been able to happen in America because liberals told us if we pass Roe v. Wade, if we if we made abortion legal and lawful in every state and standardized it and funded Planned Parenthood, that Gosnell could never happen. But the story shows us that it's not only that it's happened, but that it's easy for it to happen in America. Well, there are two incredibly horrific things about this story that prove what you're saying. One is Gosnell was never uh, caught while, he, for decades, he went on uh, killing children. And he wasn't caught because officials did not want to bring forth a story into the news that would challenge the safe, legal, rare idea, that would challenge the idea that abortion is some kind of health care uh, that, that women get instead of what it is, which is an act of killing. So not only did the uh, officials ignore all the complaints against him, truly a paper tower of complaints, but once he was put on trial, the, the most prolific serial killer in American history, no reporters, zero reporters, showed up at the trial to cover it. Uh, so that is one horrific fact, just how the absolute insistence uh, in not seeing what abortion is and making sure that the public doesn't see it let this guy operate. And, of course, the other thing that's so horrible is today in Illinois or New York with their new abortion laws, I'm not even sure Gosnell would be a criminal. I'm not sure the things he did would be prosecutable because their uh, abortion laws now allow children to be uh, exterminated even up to the moment of birth. The, the idea that a child a moment before being born is not a child uh, is simply absurd. And every time somebody says, you know, that's infanticide, the press reports it as somebody falsely claiming that it's infanticide. But infanticide is exactly what it is. So it really is true that the when, when conservatives say there's a slippery slope and uh, leftists continually say, oh, no, no, you're just being paranoid, conservatives are almost always right. And in this case, they've been right in the worst possible way. So you've written over 40 books. I'm, I'm uh, looking at your biography here. And so you, you're a prolific writer. You were the perfect person to bring a story that was in the news to the screen. And you've done that. But you also shared with us this it was like an amazing transformation that happened over years where you went from being someone who was kind of, you know, you know just reluctantly pro-choice, but pro-choice to being someone who is you're you're absolutely pro-life and you're eloquent about it. You can convince other people that they're in the wrong position if they listen. How can you can you tell the listeners how that happened? Well, you know, I, I was, I'm a natural libertarian. I mean, I'm an artist. Artists are all a little quirky, and we need to be given room to, to be free, and we want other people to be free. So I naturally want to leave people alone and protect their liberty and protect their actions. So I was pro-abortion on those grounds. I just thought this is something that women have to be able to choose. They have to be able to uh, decide for themselves. 
But after my daughter was born, I mean, I had a very powerful mystical, the only mystical experience of my life when my daughter was born, when I felt this incredibly intense love that took me out of my body uh, and, and into my wife and my daughter and into this great sea of love that I saw beyond uh, our physical lives. And it really disturbed me. It disturbed me for years because I hadn't, at that point, had no religion. I hadn't found God yet. And I couldn't make sense of what I'd seen. But it must have disturbed me in ways that I didn't think about because very soon after that, I was talking to a good friend of mine, a guy I really respect and have a lot of affection for, and he's a devout Catholic. And I brought up the subject as we were sitting around having a couple of beers together. I brought up the subject of abortion, knowing that I was starting an argument with him. And he and I argued this through the night, well into uh, the early hours of the morning. And, and I think I must have incited this argument on purpose because I wanted to hear myself justify myself in my opinions after seeing what I had seen at my daughter's birth. And we argued it and argued it. And I went to bed that, that morning, it's like 2, 3 in the morning, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, I lost that argument. And I'm a good arguer, Stacey. <laughs> I don't lose a lot of arguments. And it really haunted me, and it took a long time for me. I'm very dedicated to being logical and making sense and, and being true to the things that I uh, think are true morally and realistically. And so over the years, I just had to come to terms with the fact that I lost this argument, that I had no uh, answer to the things that he had said, which were not religious arguments. They were perfectly practical, uh, physical arguments about what abortion was. And ultimately, I very reluctantly changed my mind. Uh, I thought, you know, the problem I have here is that I'm listening to the women, and, and some of these women have truly touching, even tragic stories, but I'm not listening to the voices of these children. I'm not listening to the voices of these children because they, they're being silenced before they can speak. And so once I, I came to terms with that, I, I very reluctantly um, uh, changed my mind. And then, of course, as I allowed myself to learn more about what abortion is, what it really does, uh, I became a lot more passionate about it and realized, you know, I just, I just made in youth a terrible mistake. So that is that is one of those stories where, as as you tell it, I can see the evolution happening. And you know, giving birth—I've you know done it three times. It's it's an amazing experience. But it's also amazing for the husband. You know, with the, the father is there, and they go through something too. And that's not often portrayed in movies or discussed or talked about in the same way that men's voices are silenced by abortion because men are not allowed to have an opinion. They're not allowed to say you can't abort my child. They're not even allowed to mourn the loss of a baby that's been aborted against their will. Um, often there's there's the silencing of men. It's compounded by the fact that their silence makes it impossible to discuss the impact that abortion has on men. Well, I think, you know, I am I become immediately suspicious when being told that someone doesn't have the right to voice an opinion on any subject. If I'm told I can't have an opinion because I'm white, if I'm told I can't have an opinion because I'm male, if I'm told I can't have an opinion because I'm anything, I just think, you don't have an argument. You can't meet my arguments, and that's why you're trying to silence me. And this is an incredibly effective technique. When, when I was um, researching Gosnell, I talked to the prosecutor in the case, and she said that when they were doing jury selection, they would ask the men about their opinions on abortion, and man after man refused to express an opinion on abortion, saying, no, no, that's just something a woman must decide, as if the slaughter of millions of children of both genders is not, is not something that men have a right to speak about. That's absurd. Of course it's absurd. Uh, you know, whenever I hear somebody, it, it's amazing how often, if you watch TV, it is amazing how often we're being told that someone does not have a right to express opinion. Usually it's somebody on the right who is not being allowed to speak because the leftists can't make an argument. I'm always suspicious of that. Well, you said you're suspicious when you're not allowed to have an opinion because you're white. And the today's show, our overarching theme besides the Blues winning the Stanley Cup and you coming on, um, is that the Den <laughs> Democrats for 2020, they're actually resurrecting the issue of reparations because racism as a tool hasn't worked to dampen support for Donald Trump. People who think he's a racist always thought he was a racist. They they were disregard any true facts about that. So they they can't get any more market share on calling him a racist. So they want to bring up reparations to make anyone who opposes reparations into a racist. Now, I happen to be permanently tan, so I get to have a valid opinion on it, except that I'm a conservative, which wipes out my opinion. Where are you <laughs> on this thing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, that's, that is the funny thing. If you're a conservative, 
you have your race card revoked and you have your female card revoked mm-hmm. uh, because obviously they're not really talking about people of color. They're not really talking about women. They're always talking about leftists, and they're the only people who get the protection. And, you know, the thing, the thing about Donald Trump that is funny, I mean, he was a successful real estate developer in New York, which is very difficult to do. He was a successful television star, very difficult. He's a successful, uh, he was a successful presidential candidate, probably more difficult than anything. <laughs> but somehow he's a total failure as a racist. Somehow, in spite of being, you know, this virulent racist that we keep seeing on TV, he keeps making people's lives better regardless of their color. Uh, and I think that story is kind of falling apart. The other thing that's falling apart for uh, Democrats is that their uh, un- unfettered immigration policy has really hurt minorities in this country. And mm-hmm. it makes us all think that really they have abandoned uh, uh, homegrown minorities in favor of bringing in these new voters uh, by the tens and hundreds of thousands, uh, hope- hoping that that will secure them in the future. And I just think that that should be, if anybody's paying attention, that should be very alienating to typical, you know, Democrat voters. It should be. And and also insulting that they keep bringing up things like, you know, like reparations and, and um, trying to resurrect the disagreements with black community and the, you know, the police departments of this country. Uh, they're, they basically are saying to black people, we know the only way we can motivate you is through your emotions. And even if what we're saying isn't true, if it, it impacts you emotionally, that's where we're going. That is so insulting that they don't ever present any intellectual arguments to black Americans or Hispanic Americans in order to motivate them to vote for the Democrats. I personally, you know, I, I, I just speaking as a man, Stacey, I don't understand how any black man, uh, you know, because there's, there's a lot more there's a lot more in common between other men and men than there is between men and women. Of all different races, I think. Sure. I don't understand if if a Demic, if a, a anybody of any party, any politician of any party, told me that I was so helpless that I couldn't move forward in my life without him doing all this stuff for me because I was just so weak and so helpless. I would turn my back on that guy and never look at him again. I would never vote for somebody who treated me like that. You know, somebody asked me recently, what have, what have Republicans done for black people? And I said, why should they do anything for anybody? They should do right. things for everybody. You know, they, they shouldn't be doing things for one group or another. They should be doing things for America. We're all in this together. We're all Americans. You know, why should they be picking out people according to race and saying, I'm going to do something special for this person? They're inc- in, in my opinion, they're incredibly racist. I mean, it's an incredibly racist way to, to treat people, uh, that they are somehow not able to, to achieve the things that they want to achieve, uh, and, and everybody else is except for them. I do not understand, as speaking as a man, I do not understand how men listen to that and say, yeah, I want to vote for that. I want to vote for my helplessness and weakness and stupidity. Well, and and it's the same for us as women, that black women are the main targets and users of abortion and other things that the Democrats peddle as being very helpful. But when you look in the community, you see the out of wedlock birth rate is, you know, astronomical for black women. And even though black women get more college degrees than black men do, the black incarceration rate due to the lack of fatherhood in the black community, it means that there's something wrong culturally. And what happens when you talk about that is Democrats start screaming about racism. They'll jump up and down. They'll, you know, throw uh, glitter on you, whatever they have to do to get you to stop saying those things so they can go back to their favorite topic, which is always racism. And I know there are people who experience racism. I've experienced it. It's not like it's gone away. But to say that that's the only thing that matters to whether or not I'm successful, that is ultimately really insulting to me because it discounts every other thing that I've been able to do or accomplish, any natural gifts, anything. It just takes it all out of play. And my interest in all of these things is just for people to have the truth and then make their own choice. And I think that's what you do in spades. You bring the truth to the market and then let people decide um, and I, we're out of time, but I'm hoping that you'll join us again, especially new projects as they come out. I just was so glad that we were able to connect up and make this interview happen. Andrew Claven, prolific author, writer of the screenplay for the movie Gosnell, and so many other things, dailywire.com. Sir, thank you for coming on today. Thanks so much, Stacey. All right. Talk to you again soon. That was Andrew Claven. You guys, bucket list, check mark. <laughs> okay, when we get back. You can be our guest. You can call in at 866-963-2557. 
2037-866-963-2037. Stacey Washington. I'll be right back. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. If there was a problem in our marriage, I felt Tony was a little too laid back. I would treat the problem more aggressively. I knew, though, that it wasn't that Tony didn't care. He's just different. Over the course of our marriage, we've come to realize that our differences lead to a balance that is good, not bad. I'll usually reassure Lauren that everything's going to be okay, while she will push me a bit, saying, we've got to act. Such times remind us that God has brought us together, not despite of our differences, but because of them. Above all else, we both love the Lord and want to serve Him, even in our differences. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Family is an institution set forth by God, one man and one woman for life, with the outflow being children produced by that union. It's obvious to all that there is an attack on the family in our country, and especially on fathers. Whether it's the cycle of sin that persists in our families or the pressure from our government to exclude men from being intimately involved, the strategic battle is on for the souls of men. Join us in the battle to strengthen fatherhood. UrbanFamilyTalk.com Just as David's mighty man Benaiah chased down a lion into a pit on a snowy day, Lion Chasers champions uncommon men and women of faith who are unafraid to stand up and speak truth to power in these dark and evil days. Never before has there been such a need for people of faith to draw a line in the sand with the sword of truth. Lion Chasers, the intersection of faith and public policy with Lottie Poindexter. Weekday mornings at 10 Central on Urban Family Talk. This is Poll Paree with Fox News Director of Polling, Dana Blanton. Voters want federal action on guns. A wide majority in our Fox News poll, 71%, say gun violence is a major problem the government should address. And that was before the most recent mass shooting in Virginia Beach, which killed 12. We asked these questions mid-May. There's less agreement on a solution to gun violence. Just under half, 47%, say stricter gun control laws would make the country safer. But 19% think the opposite, that tougher laws would make things less safe. 32% say new laws wouldn't make a difference either way. Most Democrats think tighter laws would improve safety. Republicans and independents are most likely to say laws wouldn't make a difference. Gun ownership is common in the U.S. 41% say someone in their household owns a gun. These gun owners are less likely to say stricter gun laws would make us safer. However, a majority, 64%, agree gun violence is a major problem that government should tackle. I'm Dana Blanton, and that's your Poll Paris. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The attacks come amidst increasing tensions between the U.S. and Iran. Today, Japan's prime minister is in Tehran to try to calm down the escalating rhetoric. Both tankers were carrying Japanese petroleum products when they were attacked. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and National Security Advisor John Bolton are here at the Pentagon this morning for a pre-scheduled meeting with the acting defense secretary and chairman of the Joint Chiefs in the secured planning room known as the tank. The two oil tankers were damaged outside the all-important Strait of Hormuz in the Gulf of Oman. Both underway outside in the Strait, near the Strait, when the explosion occurred. One was left ablaze and 44 sailors had to be rescued at sea. The tankers had just left ports in Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, which were, and they were en route to Asia. The distress calls came eight minutes apart, according to the U.S. Navy's Fifth Fleet, quote, we are aware of the reported attack on shipping vessels in the Gulf of Oman. U.S. naval forces in the region received two separate distress calls at 6.12 a.m. local Bahrain time and a second one at 7 a.m. U.S. Navy ships in the area are rendering assistance. Officials say USS Bainbridge, a guided missile destroyer, part of the Lincoln Strike Group, is in the vicinity and rescued 21 of those sailors. The USS Abraham Lincoln, the aircraft carrier sent to the region last month, had just completed a port visit to Oman and had just gotten underway today when the incident occurred. 
The head of American forces in the region, General Frank McKenzie, was recently in the Middle East, warning of an unspecified imminent threat from Iran and its proxies. Iranian state media claims to have rescued sailors from at least one of the ships, and some of those sailors were taken to a port in Iran. And this comes just a month after four different oil tankers were attacked by mines, which the Pentagon blamed on Iran. Wow. So this is an escalation in the kind of there's there's a bit of a non-war war little thing going on where it's tit for tat, uh, mostly Iranian influences acting out against the leadership of the United States since we've canceled the uh, Iran nuclear deal. And I'm glad that we had ships in the area that could respond, but it's just, you know, it is what it is. Thank, thank God for our U.S. Navy and their quick ability to be able to move in on these situations and rescue these guys from a very, very dangerous, like, you know, explosions on an oil tanker, uh, you know, fire and oil. That's, that's a horrible thing to have happen. Uh, so welcome back to the show. Thanks for being here today. Call lines are open at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Um, we are going to be, well, let's, let's dig into it now. So I, I actually thought to myself, you know, Democrats can't shock me. Whenever I say that, it's almost like it's a dare. Like someone says, hold my beer. And then the next thing you know, that's what they're doing. Um, the discussion here was by this Democrat, Representative Torres, and she takes to the floor of the House. And you have to watch the video because everyone around her. So you know how it is when, when they're on the floor of the House, they step up to a podium and they get acknowledged and then they have a certain number of minutes to speak. And so the camera, usually C-SPAN, but often other news media outlets will be there as well. The camera doesn't just do a tight shot on them like on when you're on television um, and you're doing a remote hit or a live hit on, on someplace, you know, Fox, CNN, whatever. They sit you in a chair and they have a background behind you, but they frame you up so that it's just your shoulders and, you know, babe, you know, a little bit further down below your round neck or your little, you know, jacket, whatever. And your head. So, you know, that's why we call them talking heads. Well, when they're on the floor of the house, you often get the view of the person speaking and then a group of people around them, whoever's sitting behind them is on the screen. So Representative Torres is railing against the pro-life legislation that is being brought about by Republican legislatures across the country. And she starts off by talking about pro-life men. Now, I think it was really important, like you can save that clip off at YouTube where we're live streaming. Andrew Clavin expressed some really eloquent, well-placed truths just then about how men are disenfranchised by abortion, not just because male babies are aborted, but because men don't really have a say. The only people who are men who have a say with abortions are either people who agree with it, if you agree with abortion, and the men who are sexual predators who are protected by Planned Parenthood. That's it. Everybody else has to shut up and let women have a choice. So Torres starts talking about the pro-life men. Now, before you hear this audio, I just want to call to your remembrance. Two or three weeks ago, Alyssa Milano said that liberal women should stop being intimate with their quote unquote partners. Y'all know I'm not down with that terminology, but that's what she said because they need to make it clear to them that they're on the wrong side, like the, to bring their men to the right position on abortion. They shouldn't be intimate with them, which I found hilarious, to be quite honest with you, because <laughs> if you're not intimate with someone that you're not married with, then you don't need to have an abortion. OK, too much common sense there. I'll stop. So listen to Torres and what she says about the Republican men who are pro-life and their actions. It's number three. Mr. Speaker. It is tiring to hear from so many sex-starved males on this floor talk about a woman's right to choose. Mr. Speaker. For what purpose does a gentleman from Georgia recognize, uh, seek recognition? The, uh, Mr. Speaker, I would just like to ask my friend if she'd like to, to change her last, uh, her last statement. Mr. Speaker, if it pleases my colleague on the other side, I will withdraw my statement about sex-starved males on the floor. So then she goes back a little bit further. Like it's, they, then they go through some parliamentary procedure where 
um, he's, he had put in an objection to what she said. She didn't want to officially withdraw, but then she was told by someone sitting next to her, the woman sitting next to her was flipping through a, like what looked like a binder with pieces of paper in it that are inside of plastic sleeves. So basically the rule book, the Robert's rule of order short book for, for what they're doing there. And she's flipping through and telling her what to say. When she said it, the women standing behind her kind of, you know how you jerk your head to look at somebody like, what did she just say? They were looking at each other like, oh, no, she didn't just say that the Republican men are sex starved and that's why they, they're pro-life. And you could hear the men in the room erupt. They're like, oh, no, you know, you can't say that. And then a few people rushed down to the podium and it was the man who was speaking who voiced the objection and then there was a woman behind him and she was kind of bouncing up and down a little bit. And I could tell she was ready to let things go. She was ready to just, you know what? You want to play these games? I'm, I got some stupid prizes for you. Let's do it. She looked ticked. So if it wasn't him objecting, it would have been a host of other people who were in the room who felt like that was absolutely uncalled for. Now, those kinds of characterizations are the purview of leftists personal attacks. And yes, I just said liberals had the mind of ping pong balls. Their, their minds were as tiny as ping pong balls. Yeah, I said it. I'm not taking that personal attack back. It, in context, that made perfect sense. Donald Trump's playing with their mind. If you don't understand metaphors, that's a you problem. This is on a different scale because what she's doing is she's reducing men to a sex act. That's what she's doing. She's reducing men to that to diminish their ability to object to a policy that she is in favor of. That, and that's what we have to do every single time with these people. You have to boil it down. What is she really trying to say? She wants to nullify the opinions of men on the right who are pro-life. That would leave the women. And then she could eliminate the women by saying, well, pro-life women are white and therefore they're racist because they don't want black women to be able to have abortions because the black women have all the criminals. Yes. You see, you see what they're doing there. And thank God the people in the house were not having it. They were not going to allow her to say these kinds of things in their presence and let her get away with it. All right, let's uh, go to the phones. If you want to join us, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Terry in Illinois, thanks for joining the show today. Yes, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Hello. Well, you know, you know, all this abortion talk and, well, actually killing baby talk, let's call it for what it is. And I've often wondered, I'm one of those guys back in the 70s, well, that was in a relationship with his girlfriend, and then we were intimate, and then, of course, she was pregnant, um, and then she decided she was going to have this abortion. Well, I didn't want the abortion, but she did. You know, and I even struck up a deal. I said, look, you don't, that's, that's a baby. You don't have to kill that baby. You know, when two people are intimate... And, and the woman gets pregnant, they're going to have a baby. They're either going to have a live one or they're going to have a dead one, but they're going to have a baby. Mm. I wanted a live one. And I told her, I said, look, you do the nine months of work. I'll do the 18 years of work. You don't have to kill this child. I want this child. Now, how many other men? We're coming up on Father's Day. How many other men are out there like that, like me, that sit around thinking, well, you know, I could have had one more child if it wasn't all left up to one half of the two people that are, that are responsible for creating that. Well, I mean, God is in there, too, but I'm just saying there's two, it takes two people. It takes a man and a woman to make that baby. Why don't the men, why don't they have a say in this? And they never have. It's true. Now, now what you're going through, you're right, there are millions of men out there who suffer um, silently for reproductive losses. They're not given a voice. They're not allowed to even express sorrow for what's happened. Um, and this is all because we've basically said abortion is the law of the land and th there can be no restrictions. Um, it seems like she would have said, okay, if you, if you want to take, take the baby on, I will give the baby to you um, or I'll give the baby a life. But that's not the, the thought process that's indoctrinated into women and girls nowadays. They're told by Planned Parenthood what they are to think and feel, which is it's not a baby, it's a clump of cells, 
and you need to get rid of it so you can feel better about it. And then, of course, that's when all the pain starts because you don't feel better afterwards and it doesn't end the situation. The point that you made about having a baby, whether it, the baby is alive or dead, is one that we have to remember. And I want to point on the live stream, someone just typed in, the first person to recognize God was an infant. Look that up in the Bible. I, <laughs> that is some truth that just, woo, let it ring out, y'all. Let it ring out. Read. Thank you so much for calling the show today. Hi, Stacy. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, first, uh, shout out to my fellow Navy vets out there. Um, <laughs> thank my, you for your uh, service. Out there rescuing them people. Yeah. Huh? I said thank you for your service. That's anyway. awesome. Oh, oh, you too. You too. Um, my comment, I, and I told the guy, I, I kind of came in late in the show, so I wasn't really sure what you were covering today, but I'm just so uh, sick to my heart uh, from all of the lying that we keep hearing in uh, in our representatives up there in Washington in that big cesspool. Uh, it's just one one hour after another on the TV, on the radio, in the newspapers, just lies after lies after lies. And then it followed up with more lies from the, the people that are supposed to be reporting the truth. Uh, you know, I, I'm from the days of Walter Cronkite, excuse me. And, uh, you know, where you, you relied on the news to, to let you know what was really going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't tell truth from lies anymore with these people because it's all the same. It's all garbage. All day. All day, every day. You're so right, Reed. I, so one of the things that, that has become evident to me is this is why the Bible talks about us knowing the truth. Um, Because if we are truly rooted and grounded in the scripture and we have really, really um, allowed the Lord to sharpen our minds and we've asked for wisdom, then when we hear lies, we immediately know, okay, something about that does not pass the smell test. Let me go find out what the truth is. But when we become immune to the truth and we begin to accept lies and prefer them because they tickle our hearts, they tickle our fancy, they make us feel good about holding a certain position, then other lies come to us and they just go right in. We just not only accept them, but we swallow them whole cloth and they become a part of what our thinking process is. And that's what we're seeing right now where people, it's, it's past deception. It's willful ignorance that we're seeing when people are sitting up and consuming hours upon hours upon hours of CNN and MSNBC and never ever questioning how the stuff they're seeing there, it doesn't even match up with the real life they're living. If you are black and you watch CNN all the time and you hear them tell you all the time, you can't live without Democrats and that America's a racist country, but you work for white people, you live in a white neighborhood, your kids go to a school that's majority white. How are you reconciling that? Every person you know is a racist. And nothing's happening to you. Nothing bad's happening to you every day. You're just basically self-determining and living your own way. But everybody's a racist. Every white person. I mean, just how do you make that match what you're living? It doesn't match. I tell you, I, I see white people every day. And I have never once in my years on this earth, decades on this earth, I've never, ever not been black. And so out of the two or three times I've experienced racism, where I I was like, okay, that's actual racism. I've had millions of other interactions that were not only not racist, but where people were going out of their way to be kind or decent or nice or working with each other or whatever. So... One can be true and one must be the lie and that's it. Okay. <laughs> that's the first hour of the show. It just evaporated. I have so much more. Um, if you're leaving us now, God bless from the heartland. If you're sticking around, onenewsnow.com. News and information up next. And then I'll be back. <laughs> 